Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Good morning. You got your Bibles, and I hope you do. We'll use them every week. Turn to that passage, Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. If you've got your hard copy, if you've got your digital copy on your smartphone or your iPad or other uh, uh, instrument, open it up there. Grab your note sheet. We are in our sixth week, kicking off our sixth week of our transformed spiritual growth campaign. It's been a great journey uh, so far. And uh, we are in this, um, in these seven weeks together, we are spending our worship services. We are gathering in our adult and student and children's life groups. We're having daily devotionals, all focused on uh, seeing how, uh, how God changes us for the better. For the better, and uh, we have um, uh, we have focused on our spiritual life. We've spoken on our uh, focused on our physical health, our our intellectual health, our emotional health, our relational health, and um, and today we are going to see some of what God says about how we are to think about and how we are to use money. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about money and material possessions. He had a lot to say about how we think about it, how we value it, where we place it in our priority list, and how we use it. He had much to say about it, and, and the reason is because it has so much power. I mean, it has so much power uh, over our lives to, to uh, shape us, even shape our souls, um, we spend so much time thinking about it and spending it and saving it and managing it and working for it. It's, it's just a huge part of our lives. One writer said it this way. He said, if we don't manage our money, it will manage us. And it can do that. So, so we need the help of our uh, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to think rightly about money and possessions and to use it rightly, the right way. Uh, for the right reasons. And so as I thought about this week, I was reminded of this passage of Scripture that we just heard. It is the most misunderstood story Jesus ever told, without a doubt, without a doubt. And it's called the parable of the shrewd manager. Uh, Some writers call it the parable of the dishonest manager. And... um, the reason this story is so confusing is because at first glance, it appears that Jesus is approving dishonesty, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But, uh, but he's not. Let, so relax a little bit here. He's not praising dishonesty. He's praising uh, shrewdness. And uh, he, uses, he uses a clever crook as the, um, the object lesson of the story, and he uses a, a dishonest person as the subject of the story uh, for shock value to get our attention, and it works. Uh, so, what does it mean to be shrewd? Well, here, here's a good definition it means to be astute, it means to have keen awareness, it means to have street smarts, it means to be strategic and resourceful. Uh, Someone who is shrewd has the following abilities. These three abilities you're going to see on the screen here. They have the ability to see the problem clearly, 
They have the ability to know what needs to be done, and they have the ability to figure out how, how to do it. And so Jesus commended this dishonest manager because he was shrewd. Again, not, not because he was dishonest, but because he was, uh, he was wise. And, and so we see already that the manager planned a dishonest scheme. Uh, he, he writes off one debtor's debt to his master by 50%. He writes off another one by 20%, without, all without the owner's approval. All without the owner's approval. And, and he, so what he did, I mean, for sure, what he did was immoral. What he did was unethical. What he did was illegal. What he did was wrong. But Jesus spoke admirably of him, not for his dishonesty, but for three good reasons. And here they are. You may want to jot these down. Uh, the first thing that Jesus liked about him is that he looked ahead. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Then the manager said to himself, what should I do since my master is taking the management away from me? He said, what should I do since my master is taking my job away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. So, so he looked ahead. He knew something was about to happen, and so he began to ponder. Now, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8, we find these words. The wise man looks ahead. The wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face facts. But this guy faced the brutal facts. You know, facts, some, one writer has said, facts are our friend. Uh, even if they're scary facts, even if they're painful facts, even if they're negative facts, the facts are our friend. Knowing the real situation is a good thing. This guy faced, faced up to reality. He took a, an honest assessment of the circumstances, and so he looked ahead. Uh, so a good question for you and me is this. When it comes to my life, and, and today we're kind of drilling down on a small slice of life, the finances, when it comes to our financial life, what are we ignoring? What am I ignoring? What am I not willing to face? What do I know is true that I'm not willing to look at and, and admit? Well, Jesus commended the dishonest manager not because... He was dishonest, but because he looked ahead. Second reason, because he made a plan. Look at verse 4. He looked ahead, and in verse 4, he made a plan. He said, I know what I'll do. Underline that phrase. That's, good. That's a good thing, isn't it? To know what to do. You know, my, my dad used to say, if, if when you're following Jesus, all you really need to know is what to do next. And uh, fortunately, he lets the light shine a little further than next. But, but it's good to know what to do. I know what I'll do. He had a plan. Here's what he did. So that when I'm removed from my management or when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their homes. Now, God inspired the writer of Proverbs to speak to this. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, he said this, We should make plans, counting on God to direct us. Say that out loud with me. Ready? Here we go. We should make plans counting on God to direct us. So uh, not just any plan, not just anything we want to do. Uh, the default setting is we're counting on God. Counting on God. We're trusting in God. We're trusting Him to direct us, to give us wisdom, to guide our thoughts, to, to, to lead us in the, uh, the right way. In a couple of weeks, we're going to pick back up the book of Proverbs. 
and, and continue. And we start in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 9. And right in the middle of that passage are, are two verses. They're the most familiar verses in the book of Proverbs. Like, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord, draw line, and He will make your path straight. So we do trust in the Lord. We, we learn to go to Him. We, he's our first counselor. He's the first place we go to. And so we're to make plans counting on Him to direct us. And you can count on Him. I mean, one of the, we're all about, while we're here on this planet, learning how to trust God. It's called living by faith. Trusting in what he believes. What he says is reality. Trusting in his provision. Trusting in his guidance. Knowing, trusting in his intentions for us that he has our best interest at heart. That he is in control of the details of our lives if we're walking with him. And he has our best interest at heart. We learn to trust in him. That's growing in faith. And in Psalm 32, verse 8, God says this to you and me. I will counsel you with my eye upon you and show you the way to go. Now, you remember last week when I talked about how big God is? Does anybody remember that? You know, I'm, I'm, sometimes I can't remember what I said last week, and I think, God bless them, help them, because if I can't remember, they can't. But we talked about how big God is, and He says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He has the long view. While we cannot see what to do next, He can see way down the road into eternity. It's like we were driving on a crowded road through the mountains and we're behind an 18-wheeler who just can't get out of first gear. And we're in a hurry to get home for supper. And we, so we start to pull out to pass and a car's coming. And we start to pull out to pass and we're coming around a curve. We start to pull out to pass and we're going over a hill in the mountains and we get frustrated. But if we had someone in a helicopter following us you know, hundreds of feet above with a, with a, um, uh, uh, a microphone and a, and a transmitter or, or a cell phone and they could speak to us, they could tell us when it's safe to pass, couldn't they? Because they could see, they would be counseling us with their eye upon us. Our God says, make plans, for I will counsel you with my eye upon you and I'll show you the way to go. Jesus com uh, commended this man not because he was dishonest, but because he looked ahead, he had a plan. So when it comes to your financial and material life, do you have a plan? Now, here's how you can know if you have a plan. It's called a budget. Yeah, that if you don't have a budget, you don't have much of a plan. Well, you might have a plan, it's just a rotten one. How's that? We all probably have a plan, but some of them, some of them are good and some of them are or not. Our friend and brother in Christ and fellow church member Mark Miller has famously said to a bunch of us around here, hope is not a strategy. It's nice to have hope, but it's not a plan. It's not a plan. Now, based on what God says in His Word, here's, here's a strategy for you. Just This one's free. Just jot this down. Here's a strategy. Reduce expenses, increase income, tell each dollar where it will go in advance. That's a strategy. It's a pretty good one. And, um, and so a budget is simply telling each dollar where to go in advance. Now, in January, uh, we begin sign-ups for our winter-spring life groups for adults. And um, we will be offering uh, the class called Financial Peace 
University. Hundreds of us in our church family have taken this course. It is full of God's practical wisdom on how to think rightly about money and material possessions and how to use and manage them rightly God's way for God's purposes, for our good and the glory of God. And, and we, many of us have benefited from that. How many of you have taken that course here? Look, look, see hands everywhere. Look how happy they are. Yeah, yeah. Look, so smile when I say that, guys. Look how happy. By the way, J.B. Collinsworth sent me a, a link to an, uh, uh, a study that was done uh, this year recently. Uh, J.B., I can't remember if it was like the Georgia Chamber of Commerce or somebody like that did the study. And they, they evaluated every city and every community in the state of Georgia on a happiness scale. And they gave the top t- the top ten happiest places to live in the state of um, of Georgia. Number nine was Peachtree City. You know that southern part of our campus is into Peachtree City, so our campus straddles the Peachtree City Tyrone city limit. So Peachtree City was number nine. They ranked it by a lot of things, but the ninth happiest place to live in the state of Georgia. Number one was Tyrone. Woo-hoo. So I'm telling you, you, you should be a bunch of happy people. I mean, you're sitting in the happiest place in Georgia, right here. And so, uh, uh, but I discover that people who have God managing their finances tend to be a little happier. No matter where they live. No matter where they live. And so, um, why don't you sign up? for Financial Peace University as soon as we open signups. In fact, if you want to go ahead and use your communication card and say, I'd like to have information about the Financial Peace University Life Group when it starts in our winter-spring semester. And um, Pastor J.B., since you don't have anything going on, we'll just give some more people to check on. Okay? Is that a deal? But, um, so, but if you don't want to wait until our winter-spring semester then don't miss your life group meeting this week. Because this week, uh, in our life groups, we will study uh, the seven habits of financial health that we find in God's Word in the Bible. So don't miss your transformed life group meeting this week. Jesus commended him because he made a plan. I mean, he looked ahead, he made a plan, and also because he acted quickly. Look at verses 5 and 6. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Well, take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly. Circle that word quickly. Sit down quickly and write 50. He set a plan in motion immediately. He did not procrastinate. He didn't say, someday I'm going to get my life in order. He acted. He took action. And uh, so Jesus, again, had, had three things he really liked about this guy. Not his dishonesty, but that he looked ahead, he made a plan, he acted quickly. Now, from, you say, well, okay, well, what, what, what should be the, the plan that I have? Well, um, there are four uh, things that God wants you not to do with money that we're going to look at here. Four things not to do with money. And there are four things that he wants us to remember on a daily basis. Actually affirm, think on, dwell on, on a daily basis that God will use to transform the way we think about and use 
our money. Here's the, um, here's the first thing not to do with money. Ready? Jot this down. This one's big. This one's hard. This is deep. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. That's what he... In Luke, in Luke chapter 16, verse 2, that's the reason the manager lost his job. The steward lost his job. The manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So don't waste it. Second thing, don't love it. Don't love it. In Luke 16, 13, Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says our allegiance comes down to trusting in God or trusting in our stuff. Loving God or loving our money and material possessions. It, 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 that's, that's it. We, uh, it's easy to make money our, our idol, isn't it? Now remember, the Bible defines an idol as anything that we are willing to disobey God in order to know or be or do or have. And, and money gets a bunch of us. It's so easy because it's important. But we, we can't let it become what we trust. Don't love it. Just a moment ago, we sang a song, My Heart is Yours. That, that's a good song to learn when it comes to our money. Where is your heart? My, is your heart toward your money or is it toward God? So don't waste it. Don't love it. Here's the, th here's the third one. Don't trust it. Don't trust in it. Don't put your hope in it. Uh, the dishonest manager learned this quickly. He said in verse 3, What am I going to do now? I'm losing my job. I'm losing my source of income. I'm losing my money. We can't trust it. For Proverbs 23, 5 says this, Your money can be gone in a flash, as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Wow grown wings and flown away like an eagle. So the song we sang a few moments ago would be good. Rather than trusting in money, sing, I give you my life, I give you my trust. You are my God, you are enough, Jesus. We just have to remember, we remember when, we, when we start to trust money to enrich our life, to cleanse our life, to beautify our life, to secure our life, we are forgetting the gospel. We, we actually are getting over in kind of a work salvation. I'm going to save my life by having enough stuff. And no, Jesus is our salvation, past, present, and, and future. We forget that His forgiveness and His redemption and His presence and His acceptance of us is all we need for fullness of joy in our life in, times of, in good times or in bad times. And so we forget, we get back over into to idol worship there. So singing, I give you my life, not my money. I give you my trust. I'm not giving my trust to my money. You are my God. You are enough, Lord Jesus. Proverbs 23, 5. Just don't forget that one. So when it comes to money, God says some things not to do with it. Don't waste it. Don't love it. Don't trust it. And here's the fourth. Don't expect it to satisfy Ecclesiastes 5.10, wealthiest man on the planet wrote these words. Wealthiest man, one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, Solomon. And he said, whoever loves money will never have enough. 
And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. John D. Rockefeller made a penny or two. He was asked one time, how much money does it take to make a man happy? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. He understood that. It will not satisfy us. It's good to have, but it will not bring contentment. It will not bring life satisfaction. Only Jesus, following Jesus, being saved by Jesus, being redeemed by Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, walking with Jesus, living under the care of Jesus, living under the direction and supervision under the lordship of Jesus. That's it. That's it. He is it. He is it. Don't trust your money to satisfy your life. So when it comes to money, don't waste it, don't love it, don't trust it, don't expect it to satisfy In other words, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or by the renewing of the way you think about all these things. And so then God gives us four things to remember that will keep us from from letting the culture press us into its mold when it comes to our money and our possessions. And this is powerful. Here are four countercultural truths from God's Word. Affirmations, turn them into a prayer. Turn them into an affirmation. Pray through them every morning. That's a good thing to do. And God will transform the way you think about and use your money. First of all, remember each day, number one, jot this down, it belongs to God. It all belongs to God. In verse 1 of our story in Luke chapter 16, The Bible says that the owner enlisted a manager or a steward to take care of his property. The manager was a manager, right? The manager was not an owner. The owner was an owner. Here's the way it works. Owners own and managers manage. That's where owners own it, managers manage it. Remember, it all belongs to God. Now, this is hard for us to say, well, I... I earned this money and this is, no, I know, but who gave you the ability to earn wealth? God did. The Bible says God did. He owned it all before you got here on the planet and He's going to own it all when you leave. Never seen a U-Haul trailer hitched to a hearse. And uh, He's going, you know, it's just on loan to us. It's just on loan to us. And, um, When we get this clear in our thinking, our worry level decreases. Our worry level decreases. I find that uh, from time to time, uh, I've I've had people come to me and, and, and give me money and they want me to do something good with it. And so I, I want to, here, I, 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 I want to give you this money and, you know, you put it, so I'm giving enough to the church. But I want this is some extra. I want you. Will you place it to some charity or some? And um, man, I just give that money away like crazy. It's just fun, I, and I don't have. I don't worry about it at all. Why? Not mine. It's not mine. It's not mine. It's easier to be generous. It's easier not to worry about our stuff when we realize it's not our stuff. That's your house, God. That's your car. Your money. 
through money. Remember, it all belongs to God. We are managers of it. He's the owner. Second, remember this, it's all a test from God. Money is a test from God. Money is one of God's favorite tools to test us. Here's what it reveals about us quickly. Number one, it shows what I love the most. We've touched on this already. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Don't store up treasure here on earth. Instead, store your treasures in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, there's where your heart will be. It shows what I love most. Number two, this test shows what I trust most. We've been all about the trust here already. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, If you trust in your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you'll flourish like a green tree. It shows what I love most. It shows what I trust most. And then it shows if God can trust me. In Luke 16, 11 and 12, here's what Jesus said. Whoever can be trusted with very little and also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? A farmer came up to his pastor one day after a sermon like this, and he said, he said, Preacher, if I had 100,000 head of cattle, I'd give 50,000 of them to God. He said, You would? He said, I sure would. He said, If you had 2,000 head of cattle, would you give 1,000? He said, I sure would. He said, If you had two cows, would you give one, two to God, one to God? He said, Now, wait a minute. I got two cows. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So Jesus is saying here, that what you and I believe about money, how we think about money, and how we use it uh, has some determination in how much spiritual responsibility He gives us. How much responsibility He gives us in the kingdom of God that matters. Not all the factor, but it is one of the factors. So, uh, it's a test. Uh, Money all belongs to God. Number two, it's a test from God. Three, remember each day, it is a tool to be used for God. Now, this is really countercultural. It's not to be hoarded. It's not to be stockpiled. It's not to be worshipped. It's not to be loved, but it's to be used for God's purposes, God's way. Jesus is saying here, use your temporary resources for eternal good. Use your temporary resources for eternal good. In verse 9, he said it this way. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into eternal dwelling. What an odd statement. Here's what he means by that. Well, here's what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean you buy your way into heaven. He does not mean that you purchase your own salvation. That only comes by uh, through faith alone in Christ alone and what he accomplished for you and me. But it does mean that we are to use our money to invest in relationships that will last forever in the family of God. We are to use our resources uh, investing in God's purposes to influence as many people possible to put their trust in Christ and so that when we die and step into eternity, there'll be a bunch of people there clapping saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus used you to get me here. They will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. It's one of the rewards God gives us. 
He said, well, I, think, I don't think we should serve God for rewards. Well, I know you have a problem with it, but evidently Jesus does not. He has no problem with those kind of uh, rewards. Can you imagine people welcoming you into eternity and saying, thank you, thank you. God used you and your resources to help me know Jesus and get me right here. That'll be a good day. That'll be a good day. That's what chapter 2 is all about. That's why in this year we've been launching the next 25 years in the life and ministry of our church by focusing on these two years, uh, giving all we can, praying all we can, volunteering all we can for the purposes of God internally in our church, externally in our community and in our nation and in our world to, to use all the resources we have, time, talents, treasure, relationships, responsibilities to see more people come to faith in Christ. To, to, to see our children and our students and adults come to faith in Christ, grow in their faith in Christ, here multiply life groups for all ages in our church and in our community, uh, expand dogwood campuses in our community, plant new churches in our nation and in our world, reach pe unreached people groups in Guyana and Thailand and um, uh, Kenya and, and in um, uh, the Altai Republic. That's why we're doing that. Using the resources we have to reach as many people as possible, it's a tool to be used by God. And finally, number four, remember that we will give an account to God. One day, you and I are going to stand before God for a life audit. That's what happened to the dishonest manager before the owner in verse 2. You must give me an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted to you. Romans chapter 14 verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so, since we're going to do that, I think we should get ready for the test. So I'm going to give you a little study hall right here. Uh, it's called a prayer time. And uh, let's prepare our hearts and readjust the way we think about and use all of the resources, financial and material resources, God has placed under our management. So pray with me. Let's pray. Again, just turn the place where you're seated into your own personal, private place of prayer. Take a deep breath and relax. And in light of these truths, ask God the Holy Spirit to search your heart, your soul. Ask Him, Lord, have I been wasting your possessions? Have I been loving money more than you? Have I been trusting in my portfolio rather than your sovereign hand? Have I been counting on my money and possessions to be what brings meaning and satisfaction and contentment to 
in my life to, to cleanse and beautify my life? Have I forgotten that it's You, Lord Jesus, and Your Gospel and Your grace, Your acceptance and Your presence that brings fullness of joy? If so, Lord, help me repent. Help me by Your grace, for apart from Your power, I cannot do it. then let's ask God to help us remember daily these affirmations. Lord, help us remember that it all belongs to You. That it's all a test from You. That it's a tool to be used for You. And that one day we will give an account. as we continue to pray, I want to speak to those of you who are not yet Christians. You're not yet a believer in Christ. You're not yet a follower of Christ. And you're here just checking out the claims of Christ. You may sense some, your heart beating a little fast, something going on in your soul. Well, that's the Spirit of God knocking at the door of your heart, seeking to get you to open up and receive Him. Let me get clear on this. In Jesus God the Father did something for you and me that could not be done by us. He left heaven and became a man, yet was without sin. He went to the cross in our place, took upon Himself the burden, the, the, the payment, the credit for your sin, for my sin, for our sin, and He atoned for it. He paid it in full. He satisfied His very own demands of justice so that you and I would not have to. And then He rose again from the dead. He resurrected. He proved that He was who He claimed to be. God come in the flesh, the Savior. He proved that He does what He promises He'll do and that He, and that he had the power that He claimed to have, the power to forgive sinners and redeem us and cancel the debt of our sin and give us new life here and eternal life there. Now, some of you, some of you are ready for the first time to say to God, I'm ready to turn from my sin, to give up control of my life and my eternity. I'm ready to place my active trust in Jesus to save me, to forgive me, to lead me, to give me His gift of eternal life. And if you do that, you're about to be transformed by His amazing grace. You're about to be given His Holy Spirit. You're about to begin to live under His wonderful care and supervision in this life. You're about to receive His gift of eternal life. And if that's you, and you right now say, I'm ready to do that. Right now, I'm ready to give my life to God through Jesus. Give myself to Him. I'm ready to turn from my self-righteousness and my sin and submit control of my life in eternity to Jesus. If that's you for the very first time, I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand really high so I can see it? I just want to know. Anybody on the floor? Anybody on the floor down here? How about in the balcony up there? Anybody in the balcony? Anybody? Okay. Okay, let's pray. So, Lord, thank you for hearing these prayers. 
thank you that you make a way to cleanse and beautify our lives through your amazing grace. And thank you that you will place under our management money and material possessions that not only meet the daily bread needs of our lives, but that can be used by you for eternal purposes. By your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, make us excellent managers for your glory in the accomplishment of your purposes and for the good of people in this world. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.